it's great to uh, be together and to uh, gather even when it's like this. And as I said uh, in the announcements earlier, if you missed them, that we're going to uh, give a few updates about what some of the easing of restriction does and doesn't mean for churches. Uh, and so Andy and I will do that sort of over the, this next week. And then on the 17th of July, uh, we're going to have a family prayer gathering uh, and we will uh, obviously give you details of what that will look like. But then we're going to go into those uh, the sort of restrictions easing a bit more. We're going to pray into those things. We're going to pray into some of the stuff that we're going to be looking at in uh, the autumn term. And then again, uh, praying into next year as well. So uh, exciting times and lots going on that will be coming up. So uh, I just wonder, uh, what's the worst excuse you've ever heard? Uh, I wonder what the worst excuse you've ever heard of. I, uh, I looked up some of the worst, uh, some employers who said the worst excuses that their employees had given uh, for not coming into work. And this was uh, this is a few of them. Uh, one of them, the, their employee phoned up and said, there's been a death in my family and I can't come to work. Uh, and the, the boss was was shocked as you would be, but even more so because the employee that was phoning up was her cousin. Uh, and so she was wondering who had died in the family and actually there hadn't been. It was, uh, it was uh, a falsehood. Uh, some car themed ones were that a crow had stolen someone's car keys and so they couldn't get to work. Uh, another person said that a fox had stolen their car keys. Someone else said that a swarm of bees had surrounded their car and, uh, and um, they couldn't therefore get into their car because a swarm of bees had surrounded them. Someone else said that they slept funny on their arms and now their arms were asleep so they wouldn't be able to come into work. How they made the phone call, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, somebody else said that their cat had died in their dream and now they couldn't leave them out of fear that that dream might come true. Uh, somebody else said that Jack Duckworth had died in Corrie last night and they were in no fit state to work. Uh, at school, there was a, a, a student was caught texting in class. The teacher asked why and they said, I forgot I was at school. So clearly they were paying attention. Uh, this one, an honorable uh, student here said that they lost their homework fighting someone who said that their teacher wasn't the best teacher in the world. Uh, so maybe there's a flattery trying to get out of it. But the best sick day excuse that I've uh, came across in my research was this, that they couldn't come into work and it was a secret. They could tell the, their boss, but if they did, their boss would be in grave danger. The James Bond excuse. I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you uh, is the sort of the theme there. We're into our last two weeks of Exodus. Today is the penultimate week. So we've got this week and next week in our Exodus series. And then we will be finished uh, for Exodus. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, we've, we've tried to sort of do justice to parts of it. And there are, there's lots in there that we haven't been able to cover. But um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the time that we've spent in Exodus. And this morning we're going to look at a part of the Bible and a part of Exodus that features possibly the worst excuse I have ever heard, even worse than I could tell you but I'd have to kill you. Uh, and it, it also it features one of the weirdest punishments ever administered, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, throughout the series we've looked at various ways and various things that God has called us to. That we, We've said Exodus, God calls. God calls us to relationship uh, and we're not changing that pattern this week. We're, we're carrying on with this idea that God calls us. And I think that's one of the big themes that's come out is that God is calling us into relationship with him. 
when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush, he said, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's relational language. And so uh, this morning I want to focus on an aspect of that relationship and that's that God calls us to exclusivity. God calls us to exclusivity. We are to be his people. He is to be our God and we are to be his people. When God calls us into relationship with him, it's a call to turn from anything and everything else that would lay claim to us. We are to be God's and God's alone. The, the throne of the human heart does not support multiple occupancy. God is calling to us as he called to Moses at the burning bush. Come into my presence, come and stand on holy ground. He's calling to us as he called Moses up the mountain to encounter his holiness and have a greater glimpse of who he is. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, if you have put your trust in God, if you've, you've made that commitment, you've, you've put your, your stake in the ground, you, you've nailed your colours to the mast, do you want to know more of God? If you've already made that decision, are you, do you want to know more of God? Do you want to know more of who he is, more of what he's got in store for your life? Do you want a, a greater understanding of who he is? Or maybe you're just looking in. This is your one of your first times even just checking out a church service online and you think, what's all the fuss about? I want you to hear this morning that God is inviting you in. He wants to, the God of creation, the one who spoke and made the heavens and the earth and he also made the stars, wants to know you. And if you want to know him, there are some conditions. And, and those of us who are following God already, there are some conditions for those who get to stand in the holy place and go up the mountain and be in his presence. And those uh, conditions are found in Psalm 24. It says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul, does not put his trust in an idol or swear by a false god. The ones that get to enter the presence of God, the ones are the ones with clean hands, who do no wrong, who, who have a pure heart, who love the right things for the right reasons. The ones who don't lift up their souls or put their trust in idols or false gods. Those are the ones who get to be in the presence of God, who get to be welcomed into relationship with God. Now, do no wrong, love the right things for the right reasons. Don't put your trust in anything but God. I'm not sure if you assess yourself how well you match up to that standard. I reflect on myself, I don't match up to it. Uh, but this morning we're gonna look at uh, an, a chapter of Exodus. We're gonna look at chapter 32 of Exodus and see how that can help us to specifically deal with at least one of those issues and that's the issue of trusting in idols or false gods. And as we read, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Who are you in this story? Who do you most identify yourself with when you read the story? Do you put yourself in someone's position? And that's question one, who are you in this story? Question two, how does idolatry happen? So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna read the word of God together. Father, I thank you that your word says in uh, Romans 15 that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught uh, in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And Lord, I thank you that we can have hope as we look at uh, what has been written about your people, 
that you would speak to us through your word and that we would have hope that we can not only know you, but know you personally, that you can be involved in our lives and that you want to shape and change us. You want to be actively involved and at work in our lives. And so I just invite you, Holy Spirit, where though we're scattered physically, we are together and we are unified in one purpose. We want to hear you and we want to be changed to be more like you. More like your son. Lord Jesus, can please work through, uh, work through the word. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we're going to go to Exodus chapter 32. It's going to come up on the screen there. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there as well. I'm reading from the ESV version, if yours is slightly different. But it says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all of the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned with it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation saying, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I make a, may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat but the sound of singing that I hear. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. That's the weird punishment. And Moses said to Aaron, 
What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any of you have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. That's the worst excuse. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And we'll stop there. There's a bit more, but we're not going to read that uh, today. I wonder who do you most identify with in that story? Who do you see yourself as? Are you uh, one of the people who's just swept along? Are you Aaron, who again is influenced by other people? Do you think that you're Moses coming back down from your relationship with God and you can see what's going on in other people's lives? Who do you identify with? It's a good question. I think it's important to reflect on who most do we relate to when we read the Bible? Which situation most speaks to us? But the question I want to answer this morning more, and we'll get back to that one later, is how does idolatry happen? Well, as human beings, we're made to worship. We're, we're made to br- give glory and honour and praise to things. That's, it's, it's built into us. It's part of who we are. And so idolatry happens when that goes wrong slightly. We want to worship. We're made for it as human beings. And as a church, we have a set of values. Uh, one of those is honour. And we say this, we want to build a culture of honour. We put Christ first. It's in our name. We put Christ first, honouring him above all else through prayer and a life lived as worship. We aim to outdo one another in showing honour. This means we esteem others more highly than ourselves, always seeking to encourage and bless. So some of the background of that is that we say this, we want to honour Jesus by putting him first in every area and every aspect of life. This is a special kind of honour called worship. God calls us to worship him in spirit and truth. And this worship is not a moment. It's not three songs on a Sunday morning via Zoom. It's a lifestyle in which every moment is lived and every resource is used to honour and glorify God who created all and yet chooses to know us personally. Idolatry is then giving that special honour that should be God's alone to something or someone else. Now, we say in there that we should honour one another. It's Romans says, outdo one another in showing honour. And so we do want to encourage and bless one another and say, well done, fantastic, great job. But there's a special honour that's reserved just for God. And when we give that special honour to something else, that worship to something or someone else, inevitably it backfires because only God is capable of handling the burden or the weight that we place on our idols. It might be a person, it might be your spouse or one of your parents or a child that you've placed your hopes in. It might be a job or a a particular thing. It might be your own personality. I'm this person. This is the guy that I am. This is the girl that I am. I'm the the funny one. I'm the, 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 the smart person. When we put our our trust in those things, we make idols of them. 
spouses and children and parents and friends and being funny or being intelligent are not bad things in and of themselves. Work is a good thing from God. But when we make it an idol, inevitably it's going to backfire because those things are not capable of holding the weight that, that, that we're putting on them. Only God can do that. We can begin to worship those things. We can begin to worship things like money when we think that that's going to meet our needs and satisfy us, satisfy our cravings. Actually, we're only going to crush those things and ultimately review, reveal the fact that our true, truly what we're worshipping in those instances is ourselves because we only love those things because of what they give to us. They give us status or they give us perceived value or they help us to feel superior. When we attach our worship, this is a quote from Jen Wilkin, in, Jen Wilkin in her book, None Like Him. She says this, when we attach our worship to something less than God, we end up consuming and casting off the person or thing we worship in his place. And in the consuming and the casting off, we reveal the true object of our worship is self. Idolatry, I want to look at why uh, two reasons why idolatry happens and how we can counter it. Idolatry happens because we want to worship, but because we are quick to forget what is worthy of being worshipped and because we abdicate responsibility and make excuses. And this first point that we're quick to forget, Alex, this is a, a, a big part of what Alex was talking about last week, that we're quick to forget. And that's why having a Sabbath or having a rhythm to life, so it's not just frantic pace I'll snatch what I can but actually intentionally building a rhythm into your life of this is going to happen then this is going to happen then and this is my moment with God it helps us to remind ourselves it, it stops us forgetting about God we're quick to forget in the passage that we read this morning uh, verses one to four it says this, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they gathered themselves to get together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And so Aaron was swayed by them and they made a golden calf because he delayed to come down from the mountain. I don't know if you've realised, but we've passed 100 days of lockdown it's, it's been a, a significant period of time. Moses wasn't up on the mountain that long uh, and they'd already drifted away. Moses, when he's speaking to God, says this. Uh, God says this to Moses, sorry. Go down for your people whom you brought out of Egypt. Just notice here, God is saying they're not. He's now saying they're Moses's people. He's distancing himself from them because of their behavior. Uh, He's saying to, he says to Moses, God says to Moses, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've turned aside quickly. Moses was up on the mountain with God and the people drifted away. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone and they've stopped listening or if you've ever been being spoken to and realised you weren't listening. Uh, it's something that I know personally I have to, I've not got a great uh, broad attention span if I'm speaking to someone I need to speak to that person if I'm trying to do something else it, it doesn't work so uh, Megan has helped me to realize that if if I'm doing something I need to stop and actually listen to what's being said to me 
Um, so I don't know if your children are like that or if you've got a friend like that, but actually we need to give our complete attention, don't we? We're, it's very easy, I find personally, when someone's talking to me, even if I'm interested in what they're saying, sometimes I'll just find myself drifting and thinking about something else. Or maybe I'm thinking, oh, I, I, I've got a funny story related to that, or I've got something interesting to say to, related to that point, and I've missed actually some of what they've said. I don't know if you, you can identify with that or not. But the people of God very quickly had drifted away. Make us a God that we can worship as the one who brought us up out of Egypt. They, know, they remembered that they'd come out of Egypt, but they wanted something to worship for doing that. Let's just remind ourselves of where they are in the story. This is a group of people who were slaves in a powerful kingdom, but were rescued after God delivered plagues upon a nation, demonstrating his power and superior, superiority over the gods of that nation. Then as they're escaping, they're led by these supernatural pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. And then when it looks like they're trapped, they're, they're caught between the sea and an advancing army. The sea parts and they walk through as on dry land. Then their enemies are destroyed behind them. Then as they're sort of traveling where they're going, they're given miraculous food. They wake up in the morning and there's food on the ground for them to eat and they're provided with uh, quail meat in the evening and they're given water to drink from a rock. They've had these, these experiences of God's grace and favor to them. But they still, they're turning aside because Moses has been delayed. How quick are we to forget what God, who God is and what God has done? What has he done for you? How far has he brought you? Think about the ways that he's worked in your life. How has he worked through you in the past? How quick are we to forget those things? When things suddenly are delayed or they take a turn that we're not quite 100% enthusiastic about. How quick we are to forget who he is. He's revealed himself to Moses and to the people of God. I am the I am, the eternal one, the, the self-sufficient one, the one who sustains, creates and sustains all things. When our view of God diminishes, we seek satisfaction in lesser things. When we begin to forget how big and how vast and how awesome God is, we seek satisfaction in lesser things. We look to the created things rather than the creator of all things. What lesser things draw your gaze from God? What lesser things draw your gaze from God? Idolatry happens because we're too quick to forget who God is and what God has done and what he's doing. And it happens because we abdicate responsibility. We make excuses and we're too gentle with ourselves. A few, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was lost in the, the gimmick as Andy called it, I call her Lara. Uh, <laughs> but on one of the updates that I, um, I did during the week, uh, I, I talked about being ruthless with sin. Be ruthless with sin and there was this image that was shared in the prayer meeting of a cat lying in wait and a bird just pecking at the ground. Sort of probably could see the cat out the corner of its eye, but just, you know, I, I, I'm safe enough. 
I'm safe enough. Is that our attitude towards our idols, things that would lay claim to us? I'm so, I don't really love money. I just, I just want a bit more. I'm not, I'm not really, I haven't got sort of an issue with looking at things that I shouldn't do. I just, it's just a bit of fun. We're far too gentle with ourselves. I don't really gossip. I've just, I just agree with what other people say. We're far too gentle with ourselves. We make excuses. We abdicate responsibility. Moses, uh, in Exodus 32, the passage we looked at, Moses says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? There's a leadership issue here where Aaron, instead of leading the people, caves and gives in. It could be a speculation as to why he gave in, but I'll talk about that in a second. And then Aaron's response is, don't be angry with me, Moses. You know them. You know how bad they are. Aaron doesn't take responsibility. Go, oh, you know what? You're right, Moses. I messed it up. He blames the people. And then in an outrageous, outrageously bold move, he blames some fire um, for creating a calf. As I said, it's speculation to why Aaron gave in, but it could be that he began to worry that Moses was coming back himself. He could have said, thought, well, you know, maybe, he's, maybe Moses has died and now they're looking to me and I, I want to keep my position as a sort of a leader. That's, personally, I think that's, that's his issue. He was afraid that actually if he'd said, no, we need to follow God, they might have revolted and done away with him and gone for someone else who would fulfill their desires. Whatever the reason, the result is the same. Aaron, Aaron abdicated responsibility in a moment when leadership was required, he followed. Instead of reminding the people who their God is and what he's done, he gives in to their desires. Then when he's challenged by, about it by Moses, he blames the people and then blames fire for the creation of the calf. We can look at that and we can think, well, that's a, you know, that's a pretty weak reaction and a ridiculous excuse. But I wonder if when we look at ourselves, we don't also make ridiculous excuses for our behaviour and for our weaknesses. I want to ask you, what areas of life do you have a leadership responsibility for? Very first and foremost, you have a, a responsibility to lead yourself. You are responsible for leading your life. How disciplined are you? Then maybe you're at work, you've got some leadership responsibility, or maybe in your social group, you, you, you've got leadership responsibility. Not formally, but actually, you know people look to you as someone who sets the tone. Someone reminded me of the, the, the phrase, be a thermometer, not a thermostat, uh, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. As Christians, that's, that's how we should be. We should recognise that we carry with us the presence of God, and so we can set the tone for how things should be. I think that's one of the things that's come out recently in this uh, sort of desire for uh, pursuing justice is that actually people speaking up and saying something is so helpful because it sets the tone. Actually, that joke's not acceptable. I don't think you should be saying those things. We can set the tone. We have a responsibility or we can abdicate that responsibility and just go, I'll just ignore that one. When an area of weakness or sin in your life is challenged, how do you respond? 
do you squirm and twist and sort of maneuver and do some gymnastics mentally or maybe physically to to sort of justify it because the truth is we all have weaknesses we all fail to live up to the standard that God requires at various points even to the extent that the Bible says that the heart in Jeremiah 17 9 it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick we can't even understand it ourselves 1 John 1 8 says if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us Sometimes when we're caught in a sin or when we we know we're in the wrong, we can deceive ourselves and we squirm and wriggle and try and justify our behaviour or our attitude because we don't want to be in the wrong. It's not that bad. I didn't didn't really do that. I I did this, but I didn't do that. We, we, We justify ourselves. And as soon as we start to justify ourselves rather than accepting responsibility, we're adopting a losing strategy. The message of Christianity is that you cannot justify yourself. My brothers and sisters, if you're following Jesus, I hope you know this. You cannot justify yourself. And actually that brings great freedom. Because the Bible says if if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. Now the inference there is, If we don't confess our sins, we're not going to receive that forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. That's why I would encourage you, if you know there's things I need to deal with, confess your sins. It might be just confessing them to God. It might be that you need to confess them to other people, but he is faithful to forgive. There's no shame or judgment in this house, in this church house, this family. But idolatry happens when we make excuses it might be your reputation you think I, I can't I can't confess that to someone because my reputation will be damaged maybe you've made an idol of your reputation idolatry happens because we're too quick to forget who God is and what he's done and what he's doing and because we abdicate responsibility and make excuses excuses for ourselves You see, the call of God on the Israelites was for them to be his people and him to be their God exclusively. Don't put anything else up. Don't don't put your trust in anything. Don't put your trust in how many sheep you've got or how much gold you've got or who's leading you. Put your trust in him. There's an exclusivity that God requires from his people. He is to be their only God, not one among many. And that is God's call to us today. We're called to an exclusive relationship with God. Our hearts lead us astray. The world around us bombards us with alternative gods to follow. Jesus talked about this a lot. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. He also said, you can't put your hand to the plow. We must be ruthless with our idols. Ruthless with the other gods that seek to invade our hearts. We don't live in a neutral zone. We are, you're constantly being bombarded with messages of you should look this way, you should have this life, you should have these things around you, you should be happy. Constantly you're being bombarded with that. Well, these things that would seek to say, if you, if you just pursue me, I can give you the satisfaction that you crave. 
Only God should sit on the throne of our hearts. Only God can provide that satisfaction. So I've got two points of application, really. They're quite broad, and because I think you need to learn, you need to know where to apply this for yourself. But to counter our forgetfulness, we must keep a big view of God. Keep a big view of God. So I want you to, to encourage you to stretch your view of God. Listen to some music that talks about how big God is. Read the, read the Bible, pray, remind yourself of how big God is. Create a rhythm of life that draws your attention back to him and away from the bombardment that's around you. That's to, to counter forgetfulness, we must keep a big view of God. To counter our abdication of responsibility, we must ask God for courage. We must seek humility and accept that we aren't perfect. You, you are not always right. I'm, I'm sorry to say, you are not always right. Take courage, humble yourself and accept you're not perfect. So this morning, there's a chance to pray with people. If you want to pray with someone because you want a bigger view of who God is or because you want to confess that you've abdicated responsibility and made excuses for your sin, then you can just type in the prayer window, just type prayer. I'm not going to ask you to identify which one of those you want to pray about. We are going to assume anyone who writes prayer, they want to increase their view of God which I hope everyone wants to increase their view of God there. They want to have a, a greater revelation of who he is. But as we finish, I just want to draw out one last point from uh, the verses that we read. And that's the Israelites are saved because Moses interceded for them. Moses spoke to God on their behalf. He pleaded their case. Earlier, I asked you who you identified with in the story. Uh, I would say for the most part, I hope that you didn't necessarily identify with Moses. I don't think we're Moses in the story. We are the Israelites and we're Aaron. Jesus is Moses. Jesus is the one who on the mountain pleads and intercedes for his people, who speaks up on our behalf, who even now intercedes for us before the Father. And actually, we didn't, we didn't have time to talk about it, but the, the, the grinding down and the drinking of the, the, of the bitter water, Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath for us. He's done that on the cross. And so this morning, if you think, actually, I'm not someone who has a clean hands or a pure heart, I've, I, I know that I've lifted up my soul. I've put my trust in idols, whether that's a person or my reputation or finance. I, I've put my trust in idols. Actually, Jesus intercedes for you. And you can still be one of God's people because Jesus is pleading your case. He has pled your case. He's drunk the bitter water that you were meant to drink. And so you can put your trust in him now. So I'm going to say a short prayer and then if you want to go into a breakout room with someone who will pray with you, while I'm doing that, you can type a prayer in the chat window. And if you're someone who wants to speak to someone about, I want to put my trust in Jesus, I want to make Jesus the leader of my life, you can either type that privately to Christ first in the chat window 
or you can go to x1church.com forward slash ABC and you can fill in a form there and someone will be in touch with you to talk about that. I'm going to pray for us as we close. Lord God, I thank you that you love us, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because you have chosen to love us. That you are drawing us, you are calling us into relationship with you. And I pray that we would be ruthless in throwing off and destroying anything that would inhibit us coming to you. That we wouldn't be quickly uh, forgetful, we wouldn't turn aside, but actually we would remind ourselves, we would build a pattern of life that helps to stretch our view of who you are, what you've done and what you're doing in the world. What you're doing in us as individuals. Lord, I pray that we would be a courageous humble people, that we wouldn't be afraid to confess our sins to one another because we know that our brothers and sisters in this church family will be gracious to each other, gracious to us, and will extend the grace of God to us by praying with us, helping us to work through whatever issues and receiving forgiveness from God. I pray for courageous humility. Increase our perception of who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.